I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. Yo, what's poppin' everybody? Welcome back to the Celtics Pod podcast with me, your boy, Adam Taylor. As usual, I'm joined by one of my hosts, one of my compadres, one of my co-hosts in crime, one of my friends. Yep, okay, whatever that may be. Mr. Greg Manakis, what's poppin', Greg? Yo, what's really good, man? Um, I'm excited to be here with you. I was a little jealous. You had a great pod with Tim. Shout out to our guy, Tim. But, you know, whenever I hear another voice that's not mine on the pod, I'm always just like, mm, Adam's cheating again. Yeah, I mean, I was a bit promiscuous. I was podcastically <laughs> promiscuous. Um, I needed to get one out, dude. We haven't put one out for a few days. I hate missing, like, you know when, like, I feel like we're doing a service here and whether one person listens or 2,000 people listen, whatever it may be, I like to be there on the days that I say I'm going to be there, right? Like, I feel like no doubt. it's like an obligate, a service obligation. And then because we hadn't hit one Monday for whatever reason, I was like, I need to get one out today to kind of make up for that. And then as in Tuesday, because we're recording on Tuesday, and then obviously we can record today, again, Tuesday, for tomorrow, which is now today by every time. It gets so confusing. It is very confusing doing multiple pods. I mean, you're producing content on how many different networks, like three or four. So I mean, <laughs> for you, I, I don't know. I don't know how you keep track of anything, to be honest with you, because even with us, you know, me and Will doing our thing and then we come on Celtics pod for Celtics blog. I just can't keep track of the takes that I've put out there, which, you know, which pods I've said things on and, you know, what things I've just texted to Will, what things I've tweeted out. It's just, it's just a mess, man. I need some sort of spreadsheet to keep track of all that. So here's the thing, right? I'll say the same takes wherever I am because I stand on the stuff I say, right? Like if I was saying things for clicks or trying to be someone I'm not, then I'd run, I'd run into myself a hundred times. Yeah. You know, I'd be on one, one, article to be like oh i believe this then a podcast will be like oh i believe that and I'd, I'd quickly well because i don't say anything that i don't truly like i either believe in it or i'll just be like dude i don't know but mm-hmm. i haven't seen this team i don't understand these th- their sets where like, you, it makes it really easy not to run into yourself because you're not being disingenuous and everyone's right there <laughs> trying to chase those uh those headlines right you know it's it's really interesting it's like those people that you know, they tell stories, but in those stories, they're always just lying and the lies just get more elaborate and they have to keep track of their lies. Like I've definitely been there at some point, uh, you know, where I'm like, man, that story that I told when I was 18 years old, I just kind of like continue telling this because so many people believe it and think that it's a real thing that happened. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember uh, there's a guy I know, um, I don't know him anymore, but I used to work with him and he was the king of that, like, we got to the point where we didn't believe a word he said ever. Oh yeah. And um, I remember speaking to him one day, we was at a bar and we got pretty drunk and I was like, dude, no one, no one trusts anything you've got to say. And he just looked at me and smiled and went, the trick is if you can see in your mind happening as you're speaking, you'll always sound convincing. I'm like, you're not convincing, dude. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the, that's the um, George Costanza classic. It's not a lie if you believe it. Right, so that that's that's what it all comes down to. Not yeah, a lie. Well, I'm not, I'm not out here trying to to lie to the people about 
basketball team. I mean, it's not like I'm crushing it. I'm not like Kevin O'Connor level where there's millions of people for listening to what I got to say. But yeah, keeping track of all your takes. No, but, yeah. but interesting though is like so I listened to two pods in a row. I kind of caught back up on some Celtics pod action. So I listened to your pod with Tim, and then I went back and I listened to your pod with Will. And I mean, I know you're not spewing different takes, but the way that things can change so quickly. Like that's what crazes me. Right. So from one, cause there's 82 games, right. And then you're having so many conversations and depending on the context of the conversation, you might be talking about something completely different. Right. So like there's so much discourse surrounding the team and there are so many ebbs and flows throughout a season. Like that's kind of more what I'm saying. I'm not saying that I'm not standing on what I'm saying. It's just like, you know, Oh no, I was just first three games are great. And then game four, we look like garbage after the first quarter where we look like world beaters. I mean, dude, I, I've been very vocal about not really feeling like Noah Vonley should have made the roster. If you follow me on Instagram, I put out a little reel yesterday. Like, Noah Vonley has been good since he made the roster. Um, but I started <laughs> the reel. Bro. But I started it like, hey, everybody knows I'm not really that high on Noah Vonley with the Celtics. Not because he's not mm-hmm. good, but because I just didn't see the fit. Yep. I think that against Chicago, we saw some of the issues that I had with him. Like he over dribbles a little bit too much. I felt like he dribbled and dribbled himself into trouble one or two times in that game, especially because Chicago were kind of swarming the ball handler. And then, you know, he wasn't really very effective on the glass. He got bullied a little bit by Vooch, by Drummond. And I'm just like, dude, like do I rather bigs out there that might not have got bullied so much, you know? Yeah, and I think with a guy like Vonley who's going to be on the court, you know, and he's not going to play when Robert Williams is back. Let's just let's just be clear about that. I think they're trying to save Blake Griffin right now. You know, they don't want to overtax him early on in the season, trying to see what they have with Vonley. Can they catch lightning in a bottle? I think that through three games, it looked like they maybe were onto something. Game four started to expose some of those warts a little bit more. But Adam, is there anything more deflating than when a guy comes in for five minutes and within the first two minutes of being on the court sets two moving screens? No. I mean, that's your job, dude. <laughs> that's like, I mean, okay, I get it. Like, I can wake up in the morning and in the first sentence I'm right, there's two typos. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. obviously just as egregious, but no one sees my mistake. And that's where Tatum kind of hit the nail on the head, right? Like, I don't know if you saw his post-game press conference, but one of the one of the discussion points he kind of put was like, hey, we all have bad days at the office. It's just yep. when our bad days at the office happen, there's 20-odd thousand people in the stadium and millions of people watching around the world. Our bad days are well publicized. When you have a bad day, nobody really knows. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So I get it, and it is frustrating. It's definitely deflating as a fan, so I can't imagine how deflating it is to guys on the court, but there isn't really much you can do if it's just a bad day. And the refs seemed like they were being very stringent with their calls as well, um, mm-hmm. especially to start the game. And it's always the same at the start of the year, right? Like the, there's points of emphasis that they've been given from the league. They really overemphasize early and then kind of take their foot off the gas as we move them through the season. So I kind of just took it in my stride. I was like, man, moving screens are moving. What annoys me more is 90% of screens in the NBA are moving screens. Yeah, I mean, think back to the Miami series last year, right, where Bam Adebayo got away with every single moving screen known to man that KG was jealous that he wasn't playing, right? And I think when you saw the way that the Celtics, when they went against the Heat, the first game they played against the Heat this year, Bam got called for like three or four moving screens. So to your point that it's a point of emphasis from the league, it definitely seems that. And Vonley, just like, I mean, 
Scal's been talking about it on the broadcast. If you're going to get wider than your shoulders and you lean whatsoever on those moving screens, they are going to get you with that. It's just an obvious foul call. Um, and Vonley, I mean, he's got he's got to figure that out because that I mean, I can't watch that anymore, man. I can't I cannot watch Noah Vonley come into the game and set three moving screens within the first two minutes. It's just too much. And I mean, this is what you're getting right. Like, no, anyone that was expecting fireworks from Vonley, uh, obviously he's not been paying attention mm-hmm. because he's he was out of the league. He was playing in China. He's made his way back over and himself a roster spot. He was always in my eyes going to be quite low down on the big man rotation. Now, obviously, I don't know what's happened with Luke Cornett since his ankle injury, but he just doesn't seem to be the flavor of the month that we were all expecting him to be, right? So, yeah, no which is interesting. Into there then. Which is interesting with Cornett, right? Hopefully, he gets he gets a little bit more action. He's played the last two games now. Um, so, hopefully, we see him a little bit more. Maybe they're just trying to get him back into game shape before he takes his rightful place, either in the starting lineup, if they decide that's what they need to do because of the, the issues that we're talking about with the big men, or, you know, if, if Vonley just isn't the guy, you know, and, and Cornette gets a chance to kind of supplant him as the first big off, off the bench. But it seems like with Missoula's focus on offense so far this year, that Cornette would be the better option because he's a better offensive player. He's just a little bit more versatile. Um, it kind of reminds me, I mean, I'm not comparing Luke Cornette to Robert Williams whatsoever, but back when Brad Stevens was obsessed with playing Daniel Tice over Robert Williams and everybody you know, with two eyes was just like, Hey, Robert Williams can def- offers a little bit more than Daniel Tice. And Brad Stevens was just obsessed with the idea of being solid and knowing your role and doing all the little things that Daniel Tice did so well, but we knew that there was a cap to that. Right. And with Noah Vonley, that's kind of what I see as well. There's a cap to what he can actually bring to you on the court, which is why he was playing in China last year. And I actually had a conversation with a good buddy of mine who was a huge Indiana Hoosiers fan. And we were just talking about Vonley. And he was like, you know what? In the one year he was at Indiana, I cannot tell you like the Noah Vonley game. And he's obsessed with Indiana hoops, right? He he can tell you like what were the, the five best Eric Gordon performances when he was at IU, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And he's like, that dude just underwhelms. So everything that you want from him, you look at him, he's 6'10", he's ripped, looks like a freaking Ninja Turtle. And then he goes on to the court and he's just, he's just average, you know, and, and, with Vonley, I think they're trying it out right now, but I don't expect it to be a full season-long experiment. Yeah, because I'm like, he's a screener, fine. He's not much of a role man. Like, I don't think he he's shown much. He doesn't have the explosiveness. He doesn't have the soft touch around the rim. He's not going to be able to give you any short roll creation or short roll offense. Where's the upside? I get it that he rebounds, and at the moment, this team needs all the rebounding you can get. doesn't matter where it's coming from. I also understand that even if you bring Luke Cornett in, it's similar to when you had Daniel Tosh, right? Like, you're going to get a certain level of defense, and I think Cornett's going to help you in terms of rim deterrence, where guys are just a little bit more apprehensive to actually take a shot around the rim because you've got a true seven-foot dude there. But when you're playing against a team like Chicago, where their two big men are just bulky beasts, like, you know, like proper bully-type, level-type size, Luke Cornett's not going to do much because they're just going to dislodge you. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's that simple. They're going to post you up and they're going to dislodge you. And Al Horford done a, does a great job of being like the dis, undislodgeable. But you kind of need that one extra body that can do that. And that's where Blake Griffin comes in it for me. 
And I'm like, if you're running a drop defensive scheme, which the Celtics pretty much did throughout that game, I don't know why you'd give Vanley more minutes than Blake when Blake mm-hmm. is just harder to move around down on that block and he's just a bit more of a sturdy figure. That, to me, seemed more uh, better. I also think Blake's probably a bit of a better rebounder. And both are a net negative on offense anyway, so you're not losing anything there. Maybe, yeah. a, maybe a step of speed. And Griffin's a better positional defender as well. You know, there's a re- he was the league leader in charges taken despite playing, you know, what the 260th most minutes or whatever the stat is. And he he's looked good. He's looked spry so far at the beginning of the, of the season. I know you want to keep him healthy, but he I think he's the better option. I was actually screaming at my TV last night that we should be playing Blake Griffin. Like I just I, I'm just out on Vonley. I was never really high on him to begin with. So his minutes right now are very, very frustrating for me. Um, and last night, I, I don't know what the answer is. I know this is something that we wanted to talk about. What should we do? My dog is just circling me, me right now. Um, what should we do about these rebounding issues? Because we have the Cleveland Cavaliers coming up. They're another double big team. Um, so we've got Jared Allen and Evan Mobley on the horizon. Now, it's a little bit different because those guys aren't the bully types, right? They're kind of the long um, bean poles of big men out there. They're not Vooch. They're not Andre Drummond. So we're not going to get pushed around physically. So I'm, I'll be interested to see how we um, respond to that. But in general, do we need to make a change to the starting lineup? Is Do we need to play more two big actions with Horford playing more of the four? Like what, what do you see as the solution right now? Because what we have right now is not sustainable. So the way Horford put it during his post-game press conference was like, hey, we need to figure out our rebounding because we we're – Missoula's liking us playing this kind of like he called it a four guard, but it's not two guards because Jason Tatum is not a guard, but it's like four ball handlers and a big. And that's how they're playing fast. That's how they're generating good looks offensively. They're going to keep to that. And I tweeted about this earlier. Run some veer back defense and just see how that goes. Simply, and all that means for anyone listening, and I've said this a bunch over the years, veer back defense is when you're guarding the pick and roll. And when there's a switch and your your guard gets switched onto the rolling big, get him to get in front of the big and not sink into the top of his thighs. So you're literally sitting on his thighs, limits penetration, allows you to slow down that big, removes the need to have a tag man that rotates over to tag the roll. So then you can keep your backline defense kind of in position. And then what happens is if the point guard does decide to hit that, that big man on the roll, well, now, because he's kind of stationary, he can't jump over the back because it's a foul. He has to be a bit more stationary. You can send help, force a contested shot, or force the ball back out of his hands. They did it a lot when Peyton Pritchard was on the floor last season, and they mm-hmm. definitely did it a lot to start the year with um, Dennis Schroeder last year. Now, I'm not saying that's going to work against someone like Evan Mobley that's tall enough that he can simply just shoot over the back of a guard, right? And you don't... You don't really have anyone explosive enough to be a rover that can roam over and try and tear that shot. But if you can keep these, be- if you can do it on Jared Allen instead of Evan Mobley, well, now Jared Allen's more of a rim runner. If you can limit his ability to run towards the rim, you can get some success. Keep Horford out on the bit on Mobley and then have somebody have like, you know, make sure you're trying to scram a guard in front of Jared Allen, slow him down, and then scram whoever the guard is out of there and put Tatum on him. Mm-hmm. At least then you you stop that that momentum as he's coming down down the floor, right? And you've made it life just that bit more difficult. But really, I mean, I don't know how you stop Jarrett Allen and Evan Mobley. 
it's going to be tough. And I, you know, to your point that you're just making about the scram defense, I mean, about the um, bareback defense, the scram defense last night was also pretty bad um, to the point where, you know, it was actually mentioned on the broadcast, I think a couple times where they just aren't communicating or they're not recognizing the reads as quickly as they did last year, where everything was just on a string. You know, the moment a guard is, is in a pick and roll and, they're running down the middle of the lane. They trusted that a Jason Tatum would be there to take the rolling big and they could scram out to the, to the weak side corner. And that's just not really happening right now. And then another thing that I've heard you talk about many times, whether it's in conversations with me or just, you know, conversations with other people when you're cheating on us is, is the idea that the, the pick and roll defense playing up to touch. You like to talk about how the Celtics are playing up to touch. And last night, you know, being in the drop that they were in, not only were they in a drop, but it didn't seem like the guards were doing a good job chasing uh, chasing the um, ball handlers over the screen. One play in particular is just like burned in my brain. I think it was Jalen Brown was the, was the um, on-ball defender. And the moment Vooch came up to set the screen, Jalen like iced him to the to the baseline. But when you ice somebody and this is what I want to talk about, the icing of a screen, which most people listening, if you've listened to me and Adam, you know what icing a screen is. So when you ice the screen, you can't have more than what? What would you say, Adam? It's like three to four feet of space in between you and the ball handler when you jump up high side to keep them to the sideline. And it seems like when they're icing to the sideline, there's like eight to 10 feet of space between the, between the defender and the ball handler. And that's just way too much of a run runway for any guard. Never mind a Zach Levine, never mind a DeMar DeRozan Levine, who can just pull up from three DeRozan who can get into the mid range. It's just not enough. So I think they need to just like go back to maybe some basic principles about distance away from ball handlers and things of that, because when they go back and watch the tape, I think they'll be able to recognize very quickly that it was, it was about as bad of a defensive performance against a pick and roll as you possibly can do. Oh, it was awful. And like you say, like if you give eight to 10 feet of space and when we're saying icing, we're talking, it's when you basically, you use the baseline as an extra defender, you have a guard in front, the guard in the drive, and then you have a big kind of top locking, not allowing, not allowing the ball handler to come back around the perimeter that big that's doing that kind of top lock to complete the ice set or the ice coverage, if they're too far away from the player, then the player can escape dribble, right? Like he can dribble to the side and kind of shuffle his way up. Once there's an angle there, especially if they're explosive, boom, they're gone. Now, when the guy that you're trying to ice is Zach Levine, who's known for being explosive off that first step, you can't allow him enough room to escape dribble. If he's escape dribbling, he's bumping into you. You know what I mean? The ball's going to get knocked loose. You need to really play him tight. I agree. I also think that um, there was a lot of times where I saw miscommunications, like Al Horford would dictate someone, like kind of tell someone, like, yo, pick him up on the weak side wing. And then the ball would swing, and whoever was meant to be picking him up had sunk too far in, and they were sagging off Chicago a little bit. And I'm like, dude, these guys are lighting you up right now. But I understand they're not one of the better three-point shooting teams, but they're, they're lighting you up right now. It's time to start pushing back up onto the perimeter, force them off that line, and then have faith in your backline defense. And one of the biggest issues is at the moment, I just don't see that these guys are communicating at the level that they were last year. Now, obviously, mm -hmm. we're not on the court. We're watching it for a TV feed where it's noisy. You've got play-by-play -play guys talking all the way through, so it's very hard to hear what's actually going on on the court anyway. 
but just in terms of like demeanor and the way they're reacting after scores and stuff, looking around like whose man was that? That was very indicative of how the defense was before Robert Williams got put into that roaming role right last season. Yeah, and I think that thinking back to last night's game where I saw I forget who tweeted it out, but Missoula, who doesn't like calling timeouts or maybe just like forgets that he has timeouts to use during the game. When they went on that run where the Celtics were up 19 and then all of a sudden they were down by 10, I or I don't think he called a timeout. It was like they scored. They went on like some crazy run over like six minutes where he didn't call a timeout. And, you know, time, calling timeouts to just stop momentum, I think, is important. Um, I think at one point Missoula still had seven when they, the bulls had, had already used like two or three of them and, you know, calling timeouts to stop momentum is important, but also to make adjustments, you know, it's one thing to, to kill the momentum, but you also have to change up your strategy if you're getting killed and the Celtics haven't gone zone this year. So I'll be interested to see if Luke Cornett gets into the game will they still sit and drop will they maybe throw in some zone in there because we haven't seen that wrinkle and i don't know if maybe that's something they just haven't focused on they haven't worked on but last night was a great example of a game in which maybe you try out a zone for a couple possessions just to stop stop the momentum of what the bulls were doing because the bulls were just getting us in rotation we were late on every rotation our closeouts were over eager they were just you know pumping and going or just pulling threes in our face and they were making the extra pass and then because we're scrambling in rotation when you got those behemoths like Vooch and Drummond now they have free runways to the hoop where they can just bang with with guards that are trying to you know box them out on switches that's not going to work because they're just not big enough even though we have some of the toughest guards in the league it doesn't matter when you go up against Drummond and Vooch they're both seven feet tall and some of the best rebounders in the game so I I would just like to see Missoula you know have a, a few more aces up his sleeve that he can go to as long as he remains on the floor (laughs) <laughs> yeah man if we can't have him getting tossed that was pretty fun man i mean that game that got out of hand though, quick. right that game got out of hand quick do we need to take a break here we do need to take a break okay let's take a break and then uh let's talk about some teams or teams and players around the nba And we're back. I hope you enjoyed that regularly scheduled advertisements, advertisements, however you would like to say it. Oh, uh, I'm surprised you're not saying advertisements. No, we said advertisements. None of us said. Yeah, I feel like I've heard I've heard you say advertisements before. Maybe. Never, unless I'm joking. Maybe that, <laughs> maybe that was my other English friend. I've never known a single English per- person say advertisements or advertisements. <laughs> advertisement. Hey, Adam, I forgot to remind you at the beginning of the episode. I think it's time. I think you have to talk to the audience right now. If you've enjoyed this show, if you're enjoying this show, if you like this show, if you like Greg, Adam, Will, the free man weave, and the occasional podcastically promiscuous episode, <laughs> then make sure to follow us on any social media channel possible. 
Adam Taylor NBA, Minimo, and at WillBum13. Make sure to hit that like, subscribe button on whatever podcasting platform you're using. If you're on YouTube, hit the subscribe. Leave some comments. Send us some nice words. Send us a nice email. I had one the other day, and I hope you're listening because it was a really nice message. But boy, did it mess with my head. Tell and me it about was it. like, you're not pronouncing the TH when you say three. Like, so it sounds like you're saying set him free rather than number three. And like, I'm like, so I'm sitting there like pronouncing the TH like three, three, three. And I'm like, no, dude, that's my accent. I can't escape it. Yeah. But like, it, it really played with my head for like 15 minutes. I had to message him back, like, dude, I've tried. It just, uh, it's, it's the accent. I can't get away. Yeah. You can't, you can't get rid of that. There's so the listening to feedback is always important. I think listening to your own stuff and being like self-critical is even more important. So I started a new job where I'm like, uh, I'm in sales now and I've been listening to a lot of just like my sales calls. And one thing that I really, really dislike and I'm trying not to do it on podcasts anymore is the before you speak that noise. Dude, if you listen, even the best podcasts out there, us obviously being one of them, when people speak, that's just a very natural thing to do. And on so and my brain has kind of like erased it from what I actually hear. And because I heard it on sales calls now, I hear it in every podcast that I listen to. I'm aware of it every time that I do it when I speak. And it's it's really messing me up. Sometimes I can't even think of thoughts because I'm like, I don't want to make that noise before I speak. <laughs> the one that gets me when I listen back, because I transcribe a lot of the stuff I do for like social media, like reels and stuff. Is I'll start a lot of sentences by going, so. And then I'm like, man, or I'll be like, or I'll say like a lot. So I'll be like, so yeah, when they did this like, and I'm like, and I'm like, dude, <laughs> and I'm trying to transcribe it. And I'm like, all right, I gotta delete that. So I gotta delete that like. And I'm, then I'm sitting here like, how do I stop doing that? But in a way, I'm like, no, that's how I talk. Like I'm yeah. not I'm not putting I, I'm trying to be as genuine and as authentic as possible. So for me to to take those like converse, those sentence starters out, I'd be like, yes, I agree, and that'd be it, right? Like proper regal. I'm like, nah, dude, that's not me. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. Uh, I didn't do it there. I didn't make that noise. So I'm proud of myself. Yeah, dude, you'll hear it all. You'll hear it all the time. Would you like to buy twenty rolls of student paper? <laughs> Only 15 of them. Okay. <laughs> so Adam, tell me, tell me, let's, let's move on to uh, some, a look around the NBA. I don't know what we're going to call I, this segment. I don't know what you sell either, by the way, just so we're aware. 20 rolls of student paper. You had it right. <laughs> <laughs> what student paper, dude? <laughs> what, what does that even mean? Paper that students like, use, I guess. I don't know. All the, all the things you could have said. That was, we do. Our brain just went straight for student paper. <laughs> Yeah, that's like trying to be in an if you've ever been in an improv group that stuff is so hard dude. oh man so a guy a friend of mine a friend is that a friend how can i but someone i've done a lot of podcasts with over the years and i like to call him like a podcasting friend and he used to cover the, the pelicans chris true he's been on this show before he's an improv coach and like he, mm. he if you want to do it digitally you can do it in like a big zoom class and you all improv and that and he hit me up a few times, like, "Hey, do you want to uh, do you want to join in on this improv class?" And I'm like, "No, no, no thanks. 
I don't not, need that. Not, I mean, not not for the only reason that it starts at 3 a.m. my time. Like that's a big no anyway. I'm not trying to improv nothing at 3 a.m. apart from sleep. But um, I'm just like I don't have the the level of creative confidence that is required to be good at improv. I think with improv, because with a conversation like me and you just having a conversation right now, you know, this is unscripted, right? But yeah. it's not improv. Improv, you're like trying to find these like really interesting situations that can happen. And it's just too much. It's like if it's just a normal conversation, yeah, I could have a normal conversation all day, but improv's not for me. Transitioning, no real transition here. Who are some players that you've had your eye on? Talking about cheating earlier, who, who have you been cheating on the Celtics with? So I've been enjoying the magic. Same. Uh, lot, very big on Paolo Banchero, very big on Franz Wagner. Cole Anthony is my guy. In, like if I could choose a score first guard. Um, I've watched, I think I've watched a game and a half, game and a half, if I'm being authentic, um, of the Hornets. Uh, I like some of the guys on the Hornets roster. Russell Lamello is not playing at the moment. Rozier is not playing. Hayward's been on enough. But I kind of just like PJ Washington a little bit. I kind of just like, and I like the sets that they've run. I've been watching games mainly like, I've been watching teams that run stuff that I can learn from. But I also like Book Knight, you know, last season. I decided to be like, not last season, but the summer heading into the 2021-22 season. I decided to choose a college team to follow. And I decided, hey, I covered the Celtics. It should be UConn. Mm-hmm. And at the time, Book Knight was their dude. So I, I like Book Knight a little bit. Out West, I've watched some Lakers just because it's funny. Um, they stink. Yeah, it's funny. My buddy that lives in LA, I text him on the weekend when they were playing the Trailblazers. I'm like, hey, dude, you're watching the game. He replied back to me on Monday, like, sorry, I didn't want to speak to you because all you would have done was like, riff on me. Um, like, okay, then that's nice. Uh, so, so bad. Oh, they're, they're awful. Um, and that's pretty much the only teams I've really got around to watching enough to be like, hey, these are the teams I've seen. Obviously, the Celtics. Mm. Uh, well, Okay, let's talk about the Lakers for two minutes at least. Dude, what are they doing? Like on on either end of the court, I'm just I don't understand really what their schemes are. Like offensively, they're they're very stagnant. It's a lot of just dump the ball into AD in the post and hope that they like double or triple team them and they kick it out to shooters that don't exist. Or they try or they try and run that like horn set. I think they've I don't know if they've run like exactly horns out that you've talked about, but they try to do a three-man action with LeBron, Westbrook, and Davis. But the issue is like none of those dudes can really shoot that well. So like if you don't have anybody that's a threat to shoot, not the ball handler, not the pop man, the roll man is Davis. So obviously he's a threat, but there's just not enough on that team. And I don't know that it's worth them even making a trade. I was actually, so the same guy I was, talking about um Vonley with we were talking about potential teams that might take a flyer on Westbrook and there's literally nobody there's like no team out there no contending team or playoff hopeful team that would actually want Westbrook on the team because he hasn't changed his play style to fit the need and I'm not saying Westbrook is like untalented and deserves to be out of the league but he hasn't like acquiesced to his team's needs Ooh, and he needs to do that. Spell okay. that real quick. So, so here's my outlook on this, right? Westbrook now is Carmelo Anthony four years ago. Good. I love this. Keep going. 
So, you know, the thing with Melo was, hey, you're no longer starting caliber. Everything about your game has changed. You need to alter the way you play. You're going to have more success coming off the bench. You know, and you can still play similar, like, mellow-type basketball, but mellow-type basketball is no longer what we need in our starting five because you're not mellowed, dominated on the post. And even if you were, the post isn't really the number one place that people want to score from anymore. And then you look at Russ and you're like, hey, Russ, yeah, we, we, we believe that if we put you on a team where you're the primary ball handler, the focal point of the offense, you're going to get your numbers back into the 20s and like triple-double and nighttime numbers. But realistically, your stock is so low right now that until you alter your game to be more of an off-ball weapon, which has always been a problem on Westbrook-led teams anyway, right? Like, hey, if Westbrook ain't got a ball in his hands, is what's he really doing for you? And you see over and over again that you need, if a guards, even a ball-dominant guard needs to have some off-ball movement, some off-ball play. Same as wings. Look, Tatum was great on board. It wasn't until he learned to play off-ball that he became, he took his game to a new level, right? He looks so, so good. And now I feel like this is Westbrook. Westbrook is in that mellow stage where he might drop out of the league for a year or two and everyone will be like free Russ because he's still good enough to play in the NBA. We'll get the workout footage a couple of times a year. Mm -hmm. And eventually he'll accept a bench role because he just wants to come back to the league. Well, it's it's funny because, you know, the guy that he was always kind of compared with because they came into the league roughly around the same time as Derrick Rose. And Derrick Rose lost all that athleticism so early in his career that he had to come to terms with his basketball mortality at such a young age that he had time and he was still young enough to, you know, teach, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Derek Rose was still a young pup when he had to learn how to, how to play differently. So with Westbrook, I mean, that's the guy, if I'm Westbrook, I'm calling Derek Rose and be like, bro, like, show me the way, how am I supposed to do this? Because right now it's just not working out. And Derek Rose has been happy. You know, he's, he's still in a big market. He's still playing for the Knicks. He has a role for that team. Um, I think any team in the league would take Derrick Rose right now because he's accepted what he is coming off the bench. And there's no reason why Westbrook can't be what Derrick Rose is for the Knicks, for the Lakers. You know, he could be this for the Lakers if he just accepted, you know, it, it's just not my time anymore. I mean, the thing is as well, like, Rose has had the years to put the the work in on developing a three-point shot. He's mm -hmm. had and developed his jumper. He's probably a bit of a more naturally talented shooter than what Westbrook is sure. anyway. I mean, the other thing with Rose is as well, like he still gives you the occasional, you'll get two prime Derrick Rose games a year, pretty much guaranteed. You know what I mean? And I always try and tune in when I heard the dozen prime Derrick Rose game because I'm like, yeah, I love me some D-Rose. But I do think the best thing that could happen to Westbrook right now is for him to be traded somewhere and bought out and spend the rest of the season away from the media, away from the limelight, and developing and working on that jump shot, on accepting that role, and most importantly, giving that dude a mental break, man. Do you know how hard it must be? Because every all yeah, that feel bad about, for him, man. It's it's at the point now where I'm classing it as media bullying. It, oh yeah, it's, it's nonstop, bro. So it's I mean, not only media bullying, it's like societal bullying. It's the entire NBA fan base, especially on Twitter, like NBA Twitter. There's nothing NBA Twitter loves more than a star's fall from grace, and Russell Westbrook, I feel so bad for the guy. I mean, he's kind of been a jerk, you know, at times. So, like, I get people being like, hey, like, you, you've you never really been, like, a great guy to fans or anything like that. OKC fans might feel differently because he was always loyal to them. But, like, the general NBA fan, Westbrook's, you know, he's a little bit of an agitator. 
and he agitates opposing fan bases. And now people are enjoying his fall from grace. And I, I hope he figures it out because I was always a fan of Westbrook. I don't I don't like the oh Westbrook's the the worst MVP takes out there and all that. I, I think Westbrook no. at, at his peak was was a real he was a force of nature, a top five guy in the league for a couple of years. So I I, I hate he that just, that out. His skill set was just never built to be the lead guy on a championship team. But he's yeah. uh, but the downside to that is he was never good enough as a secondary or third, tertiary option to be part of a big three on a championship team. So he was always destined to be this dude that fell short, right? And that's that's a harsh reality that he's going to need to accept. Like, hey, the best chance I have of ever lifting a ring or a banner and putting on a ring is minimizing my impact on the ball and doing more off the ball. And that's going to be a bit of pill for anyone to swallow. I mean, if we look around the league now, moving away from the Lakers, because, you know, they are the worst team in the league and the Celtics are one of the best right now. I uh, just wanted to point that out there. Um, <laughs> If we look around, like, you know, we spoke about the Cavs. We know that the Cavs are coming up next. I think that Darius Garland's going to be a good test for how the Celtics deal with penetration. Donovan Mitchell is going to be a good test for how they deal with, like, a mercurial shooter. Just just going, well, mercurial might not be the right word. I like Uh, that. That's a good word. That's a good word. But so Garland's been out. So that's the issue. He might not be back. He got poked in the eye in their first game. Um, so I think he only played like nine minutes in their first game and might not be back. I know he's targeting the Celtics game, but it was a pretty nasty eye injury. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if Garland doesn't play. But I hear you. They're going to be an important test for our perimeter defense. Poke this one in the eye is illegal, even in the UFC. No eye gouging. Should not be doing this on an NBA court. Please do not do it. It's very painful. It is unnecessary. And we've all seen that video that circled the internet a few years ago where it happened to one dude playing basketball and his eye fell out and he had to catch it. Um, well, I mean, th- who was it? Was it uh, Randy Foy or Alan Ray? One of those guys on Villanova back in the day almost got their eye poked out, I think, in college. Uh, but a- another guy or game that I'm interested in this week, Adam, is um, John Morant, who is right up there with Tatum, probably leading the league right now in terms of like, MVP early season narrative John Morant is unbelievable he's going up against a guy that I've always loved that kind of got the Westbrook treatment the last couple years but now looks great and that's De'Aaron Fox and De'Aaron Fox he hasn't played great in crunch time the Kings are 0-3 right now but I'm liking what I'm seeing out of him he seems like he's found himself on the court again and he's going up against John Morant and I feel like for Fox, who was looked at as the fastest guy in the league for a couple of years before Morant came in, now he's going up against the guy that has completely supplanted him for that for that belt. And I, I'm just I'm just interested to see what Fox has for Morant because Morant, I mean, I don't think there's anybody in the league that can stop that guy or stay in front of him. Here's a question, and I choose Morant over Fox every day. By the way, oh yeah, of course. If you had Right now, and this is like a fanboy question, but it is what it is. I try to be analytical as much as possible, but sometimes I just want to lean into my fandom. If you had the choice to start a franchise tomorrow and you have one pick, Jason Tatum or Jar Morant, who do you build that team around? I choose the 6'9 guy. But yeah, I choose the wing. We've gone past the golden era of point guards, and now it's a wings league. Mm-hmm. So I want Jason Tatum. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, if I ended up with John Morant starting my franchise, I'd be ecstatic. 
<laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm not going to be sad about it at all. <laughs> He's so good, man. There's nobody so that can play. stay in front of him. In, in, right now, when people play drop against John Morant, bigs have no chance the stuff that he's doing to big men as he's attacking and euro stepping and fake euro stepping i mean there's nobody that has a prayer in guarding him and that floater that he has off of that when he has a runway whew, with the threat of him jamming on your face that's got to be a big's worst nightmares john moran coming full speed right now i want to say a dunk contest final between javante green and john moran Dude, Javante Green almost went from the freaking free throw line in a game. <laughs> what? That was nuts. Uh, that was nuts. I want to see both of them in a dunk contest in the finals going head-to-head -head with each other, man, because I think that would be the best dunk contest we would have had in about a decade. Yeah. I, I, if the NBA wants to bring back the dunk contest this year, John Morant's got to be in it, and Zion's got to be in it. And Javante Green. Yeah. And me. Can you dunk? No. Have you ever been able to dunk? I've dunked twice in my life. Same. That's it. But I'm a fairly taller than you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I've dunked. L let me just get this straight. Have you dunked a ball twice or have you dunked twice in a game? I've never dunked in a game. Ooh, okay. That's what I was saying. I was saying I dunked twice in a game. That was. I, I mean, I've dunked in pickup. Like, I, I'm like a street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, like a competitive game, no. Yeah, because for some reason, when you're driving and like you're not trying to dunk, sometimes like it's happened to me twice. I've jumped and I've I've got up there and I'm like, I can I, I can dunk right now. I'm high enough. Like I, I'm I, I could see my hands over the rim, right? Yeah, jam it. But it's only happened to me twice, and that was uh, easily. I'm 35 now. Oof, easily, nearly 18 years ago. Yeah, I'm with that, man. The The highest I've ever jumped was when I was 18 years old. Yeah. I could get like a full hand above the rim. But now I don't, I honestly, I don't, I have not tried to jump my highest in five years. So I tried to do, um, you know, when you do a layup and you slap the backboard at the end. So you like lay the ball up and then slap oh, yeah. the backboard. Um, I tried to do that probably three months ago. I, I wasn't getting high enough to touch the There's no, nobody I appreciate more than Steph Curry and Kyrie Irving because they made like just getting jelly around the rim cool again where you didn't have to just dunk on everybody. It was like, oh, you could just do cool layups and you don't have to worry about jumping high. I'm just going to do what they do. <laughs> yeah, dude. Like, There's no pickup leagues here in either, so it's not like I'm playing pickup often. Um, I couldn't tell you the last time I played pickup, to be honest. If I'm shooting around, there's a court. Like, I can see out of my office window. I can walk to the court in minutes, but I'm the only one there. And so this I, is why we this is why we gotta get the media three on three game going. I just take cones with me, dude. Just run cones, cones. Yeah, yeah, just run but one of my one of my favorite sayings um is bones, not cones. If you want to train, train against bodies, not against cones. I have no bodies. <laughs> just grab some people off the street. People aren't friendly here. Even better. <laughs> With that, everybody, we've hit that 45-minute time mark. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to leave that review, subscribe, send Greg some love over at Black Sheep Optimist because he'd be crushing it out there. If you're an artist that's listening to this, Greg has got a community going on. Make sure you uh, follow that community. Everyone's getting like, helping each other promo their music and grow without the need to pay for playlists. Greg can give you a bit more information. I'm just trying to put my guard Yeah, just out. hit me up on Twitter, at Mini Minnow. Um, yeah, you. I mean, Adam tags me in every every podcast promo tweet. So just uh, follow me if you're an artist. I'm doing it all out of love. 
There's too many predatory playlists out there and I'm not going to charge you a dime. I'm just doing it because um, I just hate when I see up and coming artists taken advantage of. And no more podcastically. What was the word I was using? Podcastically promiscuous. No, no more of that. No more podcastically Stay loyal, promiscuous. baby. Yeah, no, I'm going to have guests on when these guys aren't around. It's just going to be the way it is. All right, everybody, have a good time. And we'll catch you again on Friday. Peace. Ain't disrespecting you haters. I ain't sweating your opinion. Y'all been testing my patience. Never did it for a check. I've been impressed with the famous. Just rather be creative than stressing my wages. Ageless every time I lay a verse down. One play at a time. Keep it moving like a first down. And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this. MJ never made it to the major. Still, he chased greatness. Expected that he might fail. And I might too. I might never get to pop champagne. Celebrate.